One of the most difficult things we go through in life is when a close friend or a family member dies. We all know it's going to happen to a lot of the people we know and love, but it's still unpleasant and uncomfortable and sad. We even try to avoid using the word die. Somehow it doesn't sound quite so bad if we instead say they passed away. But as awful as death can be, there are times when it's actually a relief. What if your loved one has a terminal disease and they're just in pain all the time and they know their body is not going to heal? The idea of death and the peaceful rest that it brings can then be something that's very appealing. We're talking today about medical assistance in dying. It's also called assisted suicide. It's something that brings welcome relief to people who are suffering. You're about to hear my guest, Courtney, talk about her own experience with this matter. It wasn't that long ago that she wasn't even really familiar with this idea or that it was even legal where she lives, which is in Canada. But now she has personally observed how it works and how beneficial it can be. This is the heartbreaking and wonderful story of the choice that was made by Courtney's mom. Real people in unreal situations. There is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. My friend has been shot. I'm in the literally inside the river and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm going to kill you. And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And I jumped on the hood of the car and I held on. And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters. I had somebody standing on my neck. He's better to me dead. I want him dead. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds. Experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. What's one word you would use to describe your mom? I don't think it would be possible to do one word, but when I think of her, 
I just think of a hardworking farmer's daughter who just did absolutely everything for her family, for myself and, and for my brother. She always put us first every single time and she always put herself last. Tell us who, who was in your immediate family then? You mentioned brothers. Who, who all was in the family? There's myself. Um, I'm 36. And then my brother, he's 34. And then uh, my mom met my stepdad when he and I were probably like three and five. And they had my youngest brother, who is 24. How old was your mom when she was diagnosed with cancer? So she was like a month before her 60th birthday. So she was 59. I remember it was September of 2019 and her birthday's in October. And so she phoned me and she said, I just want to let you know, I'd gone to the doctor. They found a lump in my breast. They're sending me for tests. It could be nothing. It could be something. No need to panic, but I just want to like to keep you in the loop and, and to discuss this with you. And so I said, okay, like I can't, there's nothing I can do about this now. Let's wait to see the test results before we really, you know, get worked up about maybe something that's potentially not an issue. So it came back that obviously it was breast cancer. She was going to start chemotherapy the day after her 60th birthday. So my brothers and I said, you know, we need to do something really special, not just because of this, but it's going to be your 60th birthday. Like we need to really like do something great. So for her 60th birthday, we got like my entire like extended family, like my grandma and aunts and uncles and cousins and, you know, all of us. And we rented this big room and at a restaurant, we had a really nice dinner and we got her and my stepdad, we got them a hotel downtown where I live, like overlooking the water with a balcony. And um, one of my good friends is a photographer. And so as a surprise, like I got him to meet us down there before dinner to like take a family photo because I don't know why I did that. I just, we didn't have one. We had a family photo from when I was maybe 13 or something, but she was a mom. She took the pictures. She wasn't like in them and we were all dressed up and it was like, it was super fun. And so I just really wanted that memory. And, you know, maybe in my mind too, I thought who knows what's going to happen. And, and selfishly, like I really wanted that family photo. So, so we did that and it, it was wonderful. And the picture is blown up in the house and it's huge and it's gorgeous. And I'm, I'm really thankful that, that we did that. So my mom's the same way. She loves when family, and we don't do it often enough, when all the kids and everybody gets together for a family photo. Oh, that yeah. That's like the best thing for her. It's the best thing. And you. the funny thing is that my brothers and I, we really like, we always made fun of her because every photo she would take was blurry. It didn't matter what it was of. It could have been of a race car going by or like a, a flower in the garden. It was always blurry. And so <laughs> like we always teased her about that. It was really, it was quite funny. And I'm guessing that you organized that restaurant dinner. And did that have anything to do with the fact that you're the firstborn and you kind of do those things? Uh, Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm the oldest and um, the boys are the boys and they just do what they're 
asked of basically, but we know we were all on board and we sort of threw around some ideas and, you know, one of them booked the hotel and we all split everything, but yeah, yeah, for sure. It was mostly my idea, but they were definitely on board and super helpful. Just that evening has to be just such a great memory for all of you. It was so nice. And, and, you know, we have photos and selfies and my mom just looked so happy. And I remember because she was starting chemo the next day and she knew, so there's some types of chemotherapy where you don't lose your hair. And they had said that this type that she would be on, she would lose hers. And she always wanted to like, she really liked pink, like the musician, you know, the girl pink. And she always had this like shaved side or whatever. And so she said, wait till you see my hair for the dinner. I said, well, what are you going to do? And she said, oh, I'm not telling, I'm not telling. And she had this new outfit and she showed up and she had a little bit of makeup on, but she'd gone to the hairdresser's and she had shaved like the sides of her hair off. And the so the top was really long and she had it like French braided back. It was really gorgeous and it really, really suited her. And she was just like, she felt so cool and she looked really cool and she was like super happy. And so, you know, we have those pictures and she's just got color in her face and she's, she really, she really loved that that time together. So we'll have a picture of that family picture on the website then uh, for this episode. So people yeah. can see that she started treatment the next day. She did. So she, she started chemo the next day. I mean, it wasn't easy. She, she was pretty sick, but not really as bad as, as I thought, if I remember correctly, like she was sick and she didn't have a lot of energy, but she was a trooper and, four weeks I think it was only four weeks later and she'd lost her hair and so that was a big like change for her and I remember ordering her these little like beanies but stylish like she really loved camo so it was like this little camo beanie specifically for people who have lost their hair to chemotherapy so you can wear them in the summer it's not like a winter toque or something and so I remember sending her a bunch of those and she really liked that she did chemo and she did radiation like on the breast and that seemed all all good and then once chemo was complete she actually she had breast surgery in March of 2020 she did really well like I think my brothers went and I, I think I was stuck at work that day but my stepdad was there and yeah she did she did pretty good but I mean as soon as she got home basically that was March of 2020 so COVID hit right at that same point. And so it was pretty soon after that we had to be, I mean, we had to be super careful because of how sick and how sick she was, right? Like we had to, we had to protect her regardless, but then insert COVID and it just was, it was a lot. So her immunity obviously was already compromised Yes, in some ways. And then, yeah, March of 2020, that's when it all started. Right. Did she continue treatment after that? She did, I think a little. Um, so it was it wasn't it was in April, so that was in March, and then um in April she wasn't really like feeling her back she was sort of feeling like uh off balance and a little disoriented and, and things like that. And so she went for a checkup or, or something of the sorts anyways, and and they found that at that point she had a brain tumor. So she had brain cancer at this point. And we were like very hopeful with the breast cancer. 
I mean, not to downplay it, but for my family doctor, you know, to reassure me. And she said, nobody wants to have cancer, but if you're going to get it, breast cancer is the one to get. It, it's highly treatable. You know, chances are it's going to be fine. And then when they called and said, my stepdad called and, and told us, and I just, I couldn't believe it. Like, I don't really want to admit it, but you think she has brain she's brain cancer like who who's going to come back after brain cancer you know so that was that was really scary and what a surprise i mean it's like it's almost seems like they're unrelated definitely and and i as far as i know they were so uh so yeah so in april of 2020 um she she had to have a brain surgery and now that was, you know, weeks after COVID had just started. And so that was really scary. Like from that aspect alone, my mom and my stepdad, like they did absolutely everything. They were never apart. They, they were together. You know, I say my stepdad, he's, he's my dad. They were together for 30 years and they just had like a love that I've never seen that, you know, and so it was heartbreaking because he had to drive her to the hospital and drop her off at the front door for her to walk in and have brain surgery. It was terrible. And, you know, my brothers and I were at home and we're helpless. We can't go. And what do you do? Like you, you just do the dishes and cut the grass and get your groceries. And it just feels really gross to, to not be involved in some way. You have to feel like you're helping somehow. And all you could do is sit and wait for somebody to tell you what the developments are. For sure. And because the, the hospitals were so chaotic at that point, we found ourselves really relying on her to phone us and update us, which was just another layer, right? Like the nurses and such, they would call my dad and give him updates, but really we're relying on her to text or phone. And like, she just had brain surgery. She, I remember though that day, she, she FaceTimed me that night and she looked great. She was like, well, you know, I have a little bit of a headache and I laughed so hard. I said, yeah, you think mom, like what? <laughs> <laughs> So it, yeah, she kind of, she, she made a bit of a joke about it and, but she, again, like she did great and she had to spend, I think a week, a week in there. And I just felt so sorry that I couldn't be there. And she said, well, you know what court I really, I actually like it. Like I don't, you know, with the brain surgery, like loud noises. And she's like, I just want calm. I don't want my phone. I don't want to watch a show. I don't want to, I just want to sit here and be quiet. And if everyone was allowed in here, it would honestly just be way too much. And I thought, okay, good, great. So that it, it honestly made me feel much better. She sounds like a really resilient person. Oh my God. Oh my God. Just yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was that surgery too, you know, going back to saying like just how helpless we felt. So I live in Ontario in Canada and in this in, in Kingston actually. So anyways, the, the hospital is, is KGH downtown and it's right by the water on Lake Ontario and and I just I wanted her to like feel our support and our love and I made this 
three foot by three foot huge sign, uh, white sign, and in massive black letters wrote, we love you. And myself and my partner and, and my daughter, who was three or so at the time, and, and my brother and his now wife, we went down and we stood on the helipad and we held this sign and she was seven stories up. And, and I called and said, look out your window, look out your window. And, and she did and she could see us and it just felt so good. And, and so, you know, we were on the phone with her at the same time. I said, can you see it? She said, I can see it. And she, I could hear her telling the nurses like, come see this, come look at these are my kids. And it was really great. And, and she was trying to take a picture of us from, from the seventh floor and, you know, later sent it to us and we look like little ants, but it was really nice. And that was one of the photos that I had sent to you. That's my brother. He's on the phone talking to her and, you know, I'm hugging him. And I look at that picture every day of my life. And I just think this is the most raw and the most real photo I've ever been a part of in my life. In, in what way? Can you elaborate on that? I mean, I just look at it and, and I just feel all the love that we had for her in that moment and like how good it felt to show her that we were there. And, you know, I'm hugging my brother so tight and I'm loving him. And at the same time, I'm, uh, you know, the hug is because I feel so sad for him. It's just, it's just a raw photo. That's a, that's a real photo. You know, a lot of times family photos are, are snapshots or, you know, you smile for the camera and you don't really even think about it. For sure. But you were really in the moment there. Yeah. My sister-in-law, she took that and, you know, I'm just so grateful. It's not like it's a wonderful memory of, you know, we couldn't be there in the hospital, but it was really great. She was so happy and just felt so good that we had done that and, and that makes us feel good. Yeah, you knew at the time that picture was taken, even though she wasn't in the picture, you knew she was feeling happy at that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So she was probably another week there at the hospital and she came home and, you know, life was full of appointments and checkups and this and that. So she was pretty busy. And in June of 2020, she did radiation on her brain for the spot in, in which they did the surgery seemed to go seemed to go well in September of 2020 she started chemo again this time she did the pill form uh, whereas last time she had to go to the hospital and you know get hooked up to the IV um, so she did that and she she felt she probably didn't like feel the best but by October she was feeling really good you know she um, her hair was coming back. She liked it. It was really curly. And she said, all I want to do is be able to go outside and have enough energy to cut the grass, you know, going back to that hard worker. Like she was just, I want to go cut the grass. And so she did it. She, she accomplished her goal. She got out there. She cut the grass. Her dad sent a picture of her just smiling. So proud of herself. And we were really proud of her too. It seemed really good. And I thought, you know, I don't know how one has brain cancer and then can continue on this like life and totally heal and be great. But to us, she was doing it and we were good. Like we were all in the clear. I mean, it was still a road, but we had sort of thought we were over that hump. 
Did you and your brothers live nearby? Were you all local to each other? Somewhat. I mean, we're only 30 minutes away. So that's not bad then. No, no. We could easily go home. And we did. Sometimes we stood at the window. I think it was after her first brain surgery. Yes, after the first brain surgery. And she got into the hospital and we went home and and she's, you know, my dad propped her up in front of the window and opened the window a little bit, but it, it was COVID. So we were careful and we stood in the driveway and talked to her and, you know, dropped off some food and whatnot. And I mean, that, that was really hard. You just, you just want to be able to hug that person and you have to look, look at them through a window. Yeah. When, when they're most desperately in need of a hug, mm-hmm. it was really difficult for a lot of people during that time. Yeah. Right. Right. So our family, like we're so close. We went home every Christmas, even as, as adults, you know, most people pop into their parents' house and have dinner. We went home every Christmas and spent the night on Christmas Eve and had drinks and played board games and just like laughed our heads off. And we all spent the night and we all woke up Christmas morning. I mean, even after I had my daughter, we'd take her home, home, meaning my, my mom's house and we'd all do it together. So December, 2020 was our first Christmas and we spent it apart because we, you know, she was so susceptible and it's COVID and and we all, uh, my youngest brother's a paramedic. So he's out there doing his thing. Who knows what he's doing? My brother, you know, works on a job site. I was working at the university here with just the highest COVID rates. And so it just, it really was best to to stay away. So that was an experience to not be together for Christmas. But again, we were really hopeful and she was getting her energy back. And and in the spring, like we would go to, it was my grandma's birthday. And like, she came to that and, and not like in a wheelchair or anything like that. Like she was, she was good and she walked around and there's pictures of her and my grandma and we had cake and, you know, the whole thing. So we really were thinking, we were coming to the safe zone. Like it, it felt like things were going back to normal. Did she feel that way too? Like I'm, I'm glad I've, I've beaten this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we said cancer free, but, but definitely that was what we were thinking. And all of our tests were great. Everything was great. Everything was coming back. She was doing all the right things. And, and like I said, she had energy and, and there was, you know, color in her face and, and all those things. So in June, June of, um, 2021, she was feeling, uh, I don't remember how she was feeling. Honestly, I think she was just feeling unstable and, and, and that sort of thing. And she went and she had an MRI and actually it it was my, uh, one of my cousins is the MRI technician there and so she did she did the MRI and she looked at my mom and and said uh you need to go down to the hospital and just have a conversation with the doctor and she looked at her and said like why and she said well I you know just go have a conversation with the doctor and obviously like if everything were fine she would have went home there would be no reason for her to send her to the hospital other than something bad and I remember my mom telling me that she just looked at my cousin and she said, I'm going to die, aren't I? And she said, you know, 
just just go down <laughs> just go down there something i've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more there are lots of books i want to read and i try to read every day even if it's just a few pages that little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference it's like taking care of your gut even though it's not big it supports the health of your whole body Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com/what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com/what. My dad dropped her off at the front door and they found that the brain tumors were back. Um, yeah, the brain tumors were back. So in June of 2021, she had a second emergency brain surgery and that was really tough. And, and that time was really scary. I mean, not that the other times weren't, but so COVID restrictions at that point were they would let my dad go in and see her or one, one person. It didn't matter who it could have been one of my brothers. It could have been myself. It could have been my dad, but whoever that person was couldn't change. So if I had have went on day one, 
no one else would be allowed in, only myself. And so we wanted her and, and my dad, my stepdad to be together. So he went in and I remember just having just such a bad day. And I just, I wanted to see her. Um, and I wanted to just be near her. And I remember going to the hospital and thinking like I was so slick and I was going to just be super cool about it and knowing the rules and knowing that my dad was the one on the list, but I was just gonna <laughs> fake it and, and try to pull one over. And, you know, so I went in and I said, I said, oh, I said, hi, like, you know, I'm just here to see my mom. And they said, okay, great. Like, what's your name? And I said, Courtney. Okay. Let me just call up. And so they called up and I was like, oh, well, that was easy. And the nurse on the other end of the line must have said like, oh, uh, well, her dad was already here. So whatever. Anyways, the, obviously I was found out. And, and you they, didn't pull off that caper, huh? <laughs> I did. I didn't. I tried. I tried my damnedest. It didn't work. And so uh, I remember she said, you know, I'm really sorry and you can't go up and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't her fault, but I just like hated that girl so much. And I walked outside and I phoned whatever nurse was upstairs on the floor and I begged her I begged her I said please like I will wear 20 masks I will stand in the hallway I don't care please let me come and she said no like you know I can't and I remember just sitting out front of the hospital and it was evening and I just sobbed I just cried like I felt so helpless and again, I, I what could I do? I just drove home. And I'm sure that nurse felt your pain as well, because she probably has to tell other people the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so while she was there, amidst the brain cancer, they just it had gone everywhere. It was in her skin and in her lungs and breast and brain and lymph nodes and. It just was everywhere and it wasn't going to be stopped. And so that was really hard to come to terms with. And so that was in June. So I remember in July, one of my best friends that I, I've known since I was little, she and I have daughters the same the same age who, and they just love each other. And so we've been friends for over 30 years. Anyways, we went to uh, her cottage for the night just us and the girls and the girls had gone to bed and we were sitting by the fire and having a glass of wine and, and, and she's a nurse at that hospital. And she just, you know, obviously it was, it was COVID and she was having a really hard time and, and she was stressed out and all these things. And I don't know what provoked me to say, <laughs> I felt like such a shitty friend. And I was like, well, what's the worst thing that's ever happened? Like, the <laughs> Oh, you're feeling down? Like, let's really get into it. But it's, but so I asked her and I said, what's the worst thing that, that you've ever had to do? And she said to me, it's not the floor that she works on. That's not her specialty. But there was a doctor who needed help with a medically assisted death. And I looked at her. I said, is that even legal? And she was like, yeah, it is. And she said, I didn't know what to expect. And I, I wasn't prepared and they just needed me to be there for whatever reason. And, and so she said, I just, I went in and I stood at the back of the room and, and 
I remember her explaining her experience to me and she said it was just this man and his wife. And she said, I just kept looking at his pajamas and, and thinking, how do you just wake up in the morning and pick out these pajamas and think, okay, I'm going to drive myself to the hospital and, and I'm going to pass away. And these are the pajamas I want to wear. I don't know why that's that, that stuck out in her mind. And that, that really stuck with me about this man in the pajamas. And, you know, I said, what was the wife doing? And she said, you know, they obviously just, I love you. And I, I love you. And, and that sort of thing. And, and she sort of described the process a vaguely. And, you know, I said, were you upset? And she said, I was like bawling behind my mask, but it, I'm trying to be professional. And I had no idea what to expect. And this was just thrown at me. And I, you know, I'm trying not to like cry, but it, it was a lot. And, and I thought, wow, yeah, that is a lot. No wonder you're stressed out about work. Like, <laughs> but, but I mean, my first response to her was, is that even legal? And so that was sort of the first I'd, I'd ever heard of something like that. And what she was talking about is this, is this program in Canada called, it, it's abbreviated MAID, M-A-I-D, which is Medically Assisted in Dying. Right. So, so you'd never heard about that before. No, I, I, no, I guess not, not until she had sort of said so. I mean, I guess I maybe had some sort of idea that it was a thing, but I, I, I didn't think it was legal in Canada, and I certainly never heard of anyone else doing something like that. When you were talking about this, did it immediately come to your mind that this is what my mom should do? No, God, no. Not once. Not once. I was just listening to her story and thinking like, wow, what a shitty day at work. Like, that's heavy. Not once did, not once did that cross my mind at all. I just, that was all her. That was all her experience. And that's as far as it went in my brain was sympathy for her and her having to be there. And, and really just that, that, that was as far as it went in August. It was August 3rd. It was a Tuesday. And my stepdad said, you know, I want to talk to you guys. I'm going to FaceTime you at whatever time. And I thought, okay. So my stepdad FaceTimes myself and both of my brothers. And you, you can tell my mom's not around. Like, you know, he would always like, because she sort of like lost a bit of like mobility and couldn't text and hold the phone. So he would always like text back for her sometimes, or he would hold the phone while she talked to us. And um, you could just, you could tell she wasn't around and that he really had something to like share with us. And he said, you know, um, there's two things that I, that I want to tell you. He said, your mom has decided that she wants to do a medically assisted death. And also she would like for you guys to be there. And we all just were silent. And I just, I didn't say another word for that whole conversation. I have no idea what my brother said, honestly, but I do remember, I do remember one of them saying, is that even legal? And obviously he said it was. And one of us said like, well, when, like, what do you mean when? And he said, it could be as soon as a week from now, she has to be assessed um, there has to be a COVID test. There has to be a place for her, like a spot for her at the hospital. So I don't really know, but this is, this is her, this is the plan. 
I have no idea what else was said, but I just hung up the phone and I've never felt a feeling like that before. I was sobbing, but it was like my body was in in pain, like my skin, like I just like my skin was irritating me being on my body. It's the weirdest thing to explain, but you just wanted to, I don't know, wanted to like get your own skin off. It was like hurting and there was nothing you could do. It, it was just horrible. And so I remember, you know, I gave it a little while and that night I phoned her. I FaceTimed her and she was, uh, she was upset. I know that she was very comfortable in her decision, but I know, especially as a mom, how hard that would be to tell your kids that you got to leave them. But I fully understand why she made that choice. I fully support her, you know, I'm even I'm even happy that she got to um she, that she got to make that choice. You know, my doctor said cancer has controlled your mom's life for 2 years and she finally gets to be the one in control. And I felt happy for her that she did get to make that choice. So, the next day, the next day was Tuesday. The doctors have to come in this case anyways, came to the house and did sort of a mental assessment. They want to make sure that you're of clear mind and and you're making this decision decision on your own. You know, no one's forcing you that this is what you want. They tell you all the rules and what to expect. And after you have all the information, like you have to be the one to, to fully consent. So she did, obviously. They gave her a COVID test because it's COVID and she had to be negative in order to go into the hospital which I guess doesn't make much sense. But anyways, so she did the COVID test and she passed. She was negative. And so the day after was Thursday, August 5th. She was going to go to palliative care at the hospital closest to where we lived. And she had to go uh, by an ambulance. She really like, she was having a lot of difficulty walking and getting up, uh, you know, in and out of the car or up and down the stairs and out of the house. So it just was the, it was the smartest decision to have her go by ambulance. It was the safest. So my brother being a paramedic, he called two of the coworkers who he, he really respected and told them the situation. And I remember them, it was their day off and they still put on their uniform and got the ambulance and, and brought it to our house and picked up my mom like you know and to support my brother and I thought that was just so kind for sure that's typical of the brotherhood of EMTs and paramedics right right I agree it was it was really sweet she was transported to the hospital and it, she had her palliative care room and it was really like it was a nice room. It was big. It was spacious. There's like a connecting room off of it with a, a TV and a pullout couch so that your family members can stay there with you. 
it's not just like a hospital bed and some creaky chair beside. Like they really put a lot of thought between two rooms. There's a connecting kitchen so you can, you know, your family you can make tea or make meals or or whatever it is that you need. They were they were really great. It sounds more of like a, a homey environment than a hospital room. For sure. And, and you know, the little connecting room, it had its own bathroom and a shower. So, you know, my dad could have a shower and have his own place to sleep. And yeah, it was good. So, so we showed up there on the, on the Thursday and we spent the whole day together. So that morning, I remember not saying anything. My daughter was, um, she was four at the time. And I had to somehow explain this to her because I wanted to take her to the hospital that day, the day before, to see my mom, to see grandma. She was the only grandchild. She still is the only grandchild. So, you know, she's just (laughs) everything to her. And so I remember having to tell her and, and she's so mature and so sweet and she was so understanding and we sat outside and I said, we're going to go to the hospital and we're going to go see grandma. And she said, okay. And I said, and I just need to tell you that this is going to be the last time that, that we're going to see grandma because she's very, very, very sick and she's going to go to heaven. And she just, she just started crying and she cried and cried and, you know, we talked about it a little more, but I didn't know how, how further to explain that to her. So we went and she she came as well, myself and my brothers and my stepdad. And we had a visit and she, I, I only I didn't want her to stay the whole day, but she had about an hour and she climbed up. I said, okay, give, you know, give grandma a hug. And she got up in her bed and she hugged my mom and she, you know, laid her head on her shoulder and said, you know, I love you, grandma. And she got down and I walked her out into the hallway and we got halfway down the hallway. Someone was going to come pick her up for me. And we got halfway down the hallway and she's holding my hand and she stopped and she said, can I go give grandma one more hug? And I said, yeah, of course. And so she ran back down the hallway and, you know, went through the door and said, Grandma, I just want one more hug. And so she did. And it was really sweet. So after she left, you know, we just spent time together. And I, I mean, I'll say it was nice, but it was, it was so much time apart. And we got to crawl in bed with her and, and, you know, she had a, my dad had brought her old cell phones and, you know, it's a, it's a mom's cell phone. So there's things on there from 40 years ago. Like she had (laughs) moms don't delete pictures, right? (laughs) No. And so she had all these things that we had lost because we've probably had a hundred new cell phones in the last three years. And she had like videos from when we were, not when we were little because there wasn't cell phones, but she had videos from years ago. She had the video of my daughter taking her first steps that I had long ago lost. She had, you know, all these funny pictures and we just talked about, about 
so many things and and we laughed we laughed so hard at all the things we sort of had got up to as a family and it it really was it was nice it was good and there was nothing else you know it was just us it was the five of us in that room and that was it and and we had the whole day just to be together and like i said they were super accommodating and you know they said you can do whatever you want we'll bring you the hospital dinner but do whatever you want and as i said before we're canadian so uh obviously we had to go get her uh poutine and uh <laughs> and a couple of pizzas and we sat around eating poutine and and pizza and you know laughing and chatting and it was nice it was nice i think it it wasn't it wasn't I don't want to say it wasn't so heavy, but we had the next day, you know, so that day we just really, we really just enjoyed it. You, you know, okay, we're okay for today. Let's enjoy right now. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Probably a lot of old family stories came up. <laughs> yeah. We all just like made fun of each other and, you know, talked about how her and my stepdad met, which is really amazing so my mom had a best friend who who lived in town and the 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 friend's dad had passed away and so her her family was coming home for this funeral and one of the people was her brother and he was coming home to the small town that we live in for his dad's funeral and he said to his sister whoa like who who's your friend and uh it turns out it was my mom and he was only here for a couple of days. He he lived out West. I don't know what happened in, in three days, but here's my mom with two, two little kids. And he basically said to her within a couple of days, like, I'm going to go home and pack all my, all my belongings and I'm going to move here. Do you want to be together for the rest of our lives? And she said, yes. And, and they were, and they really were. And they loved each other so much, so much. Like you would think, like that's crazy. And you do. Uh, I think that's crazy. If I said that I was going to do that to someone, you you know, like oh, this is what I'm going to do to move to another province and be with someone forever. It's like okay. Yeah, and everybody would advise you that it's a really bad idea. Right, and I and I mean they they might have, but almost thirty years later, so jokes on them. She just, she was the best mom. She made chocolate chip cookies. She just like made us spaghetti. She was always driving us to like sports and hockey and baseball and soccer games. And when we were little, when it was just my mom and me and my brother, she would take us camping, but like real life camping, like pitch a tent, all your meals are like cooked on the fire that you've assembled yourself and you have to pack all the utensils and the things. And, and she was great. She was great at it. She was it was a lot of fun. Like I have so many memories of, of going camping with her. One of my mom's hobbies was she collected dimes. She had this huge jar full of dimes. Anytime she got in like my car, she'd be like, Oh my God, Courtney, look at the, I'd be like, it's four dimes. You're welcome to them. Like take your dimes. Like she just, she went crazy. Like my brother bought her, you know, like we buy her Christmas presents and like as a joke, like you'd wrap 
a, like a roll of dimes from the bank and she wouldn't give two shits about the present. She was like, Oh yes. Oh yes. Like this roll of dimes. Like she was crazy about these dimes. It was so funny. And like my grandma would like save her little plastic baggies of them. And you know, we'd empty our change drawers and be like, okay, have at it. And she, she just, she just was obsessed. It was so funny. And I remember um, she rolled them you know, while she was home during COVID and she had almost a thousand dollars in dimes. So that's, that's quite a lot. And and I remember saying like, use it to go on a trip. And then she thought maybe I'll buy like a really good, like lazy boy or something. So I don't know that. I don't think she ever actually did anything with it, but it, it's funny anyways, how excited that would make her. The next day was Friday, August the 6th. And they had told us that this would take place at one o'clock Friday at one. It was the most bizarre, the most bizarre thing, you know, how you can talk to people and say, oh, my mom's really sick or, or she's no, she's not doing well. But how do you call someone four days before and say, my mom's going to die on Friday at one o'clock? It just didn't make sense it was it it just it, it didn't make sense so i remember that morning you set an alarm to like get up to get ready to go and do this like it just it just I have trouble trying to explain it but i remember picking out an outfit and i wanted to look nice you know but i i don't know why this, this was on my mind but i thought i don't want to wear something that i love because i don't want this memory to be attached to it and I picked something I'd never worn before so that I could throw it away afterwards which I did but so I got ready and and my brother one of my brothers picked me up and we drove there together and you know we walked in and it wasn't like somber it 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 was just like I don't know it's sort of hard to explain but my dad wasn't sitting around bawling. It was like he was happy for her that that she was gonna that, that that's what she wanted and she, and she was gonna get to do it her way and yeah. So we all sat around. We had uh, and she had some breakfast and you know we shared more more stories and and laughed about things and when someone is sick like that, you don't say well uh, if you die then what should I do? Or, or, you know, what do you want to pass along? Because you just always have this hope. But in that moment, you know that, that this is going to be it. So you're, you're allowed to say these things that you, that you wouldn't, you know? So I remember I said to her, every Christmas we would make these bars and, and we made them all the time and we loved them. I was obsessed with them. And I said, oh my God, mom, where's that, where's the recipe for the bars that we make at Christmas? And she said, okay, go into like the little kitchen. We have a main kitchen and a side kitchen. She said, go into the little kitchen. It's in the cupboard on the right hand side. And it's in a little blue recipe book. And that's where it is. I said, okay, great. (laughs) Perfect. And, and you can talk about these things. As I said, you know, she, she wanted to be cremated and, she was sort of indifferent as to what happened after that. You know, she thought, well, 
if my parents still, if her parents still had the farm, maybe she would like to be her ashes to be spread there. And, you know, I could talk to her and I said, well, we don't, we don't own the farm anymore. And so I don't really like that idea. And it was just weird to have this conversation with her, you know, and I said, obviously it's your choice, but I, I would really like for you to like have like a, like a stone and, and a spot where like can go and, you know, maybe feel that you're there and, and that's your spot. And she was like, okay, sure. Like that, that sounds good. <laughs> uh, it just was like so weird, but. Just some bizarre conversations you never would imagine you'd have with your No, mom. no, never. And so, like I said, they said it was going to be Friday at, at one o'clock. And so we were there, you know, the, the clocks that are like in an elementary school or something, they're great big clocks with the hands on them and they're noisy. And it was at the foot of her bed and it just kept, you know, in our moments of silence, if we just sat there and held her hand or whatever we were doing, you could just hear of this clock and it was driving me nuts and it was so sad and it was giving us all just like anxiety and she would look at it every now and then and, and it just was heartbreaking and she's just watching the clock and eventually uh we took it off the wall and we threw it in the hallway so it wasn't there but every so often she uh she would say what time is it and we'd say, well, it, it's 11. She'd say, okay. And then, you know, some more time would, would pass. And she'd say, what time is it? And we'd say, it's it's 12.15. And uh, we, we, we just, like, loved on her. Like, I got in bed with her and held her hand. And I remember my youngest brother sat at the foot of her bed and put lotion on her feet and you know my other brother was on the other side and um you know what you know that the time is coming and you know beforehand and the nurse had came in to put the IV in her hand so that it was prepped and ready and so we're all trying to ignore what this nurse is doing and she couldn't get the bane and she couldn't get it to work and she had to get someone else to come and it was just like oh for god's sakes like it was a lot and so we were just laying with her and it was quiet and you knew that the time was coming and you hear a knock at the door and we looked and it was the doctor and he came in and, and, um, it's fully her choice. And he said, you know, how are you feeling? She said, good. And he said, do you think you want some more time? And she just sort of looked at us like she did. Of course she did. But that the time had come. And so she said to us, okay, come give me your hugs. And so we all obviously 
had her moments with her and, and hugged her and she said, be a good mom and I know you will be. She said, you're such a good mom and I love you. I remember just hugging her and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, mom. He said, I love you and I'm going to miss you so much. And my brothers and my dad, they had, um, they had their time. And I remember looking back at the nurse who was with him and I thought of my, my dear friend. And I looked at that nurse and she was crying behind her mask. Her face was red. Her eyes were red and she was crying. And uh, the doctor went and, and sat beside her and got her IV ready and said, you know, once I, once I do this, um, you know, it'll only be a couple of seconds probably. And, and, and you'll just go to sleep. You'll just peacefully go to sleep. And so we were at her side and I think I was kneeling on the floor and I was holding her hand and, and, her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. I know she didn't want to leave us, but she didn't want us to watch her suffer, which with everything going on would have likely been the outcome. And the doctor sat beside her and I was holding her hand and I remember staring at her and just thinking, look at me, just just look at me. And she looked me in the eyes and I just said, I love you. And she said, I love you too. And the doctor looked at her and said, it was my pleasure to have met you. And he did the injection and it was a only a few seconds and her eyes just fluttered and it really did look like she just peacefully fell asleep. And we just continued to hold her hand and we just cried and cried and cried and you know, and then there comes the point, like, oh, what do you do now? You don't want to leave, but you don't want to stay looking. You don't want to stay looking at, at her this way. So it was probably 20 minutes or a half an hour. And uh, we decided that it was time for us to go. And so we left. Did you all go back to your parents' place? Or it seems like that's a time where you would want to be together. It does, <laughs> but we didn't. We all wanted to be alone. 
my dad really wanted to be alone, you know, like he was going to have to go back to the house and we all offered and wanted to, and he just really wanted to be by himself. And, uh, yeah, the boy, the boys and I wanted to be by ourselves too. I, I drove back with my brother and I remembered that I forgot my sweater and he said, do you want to go back? And I said, no, <laughs> are you, are you kidding? No, I'll leave it there. But I mean, it was a, it was a small town. One of the nurses in there like lived in our town, brought it to me or something. I can't remember, but I remember him genuinely saying, do you want to go back and get it? He wasn't even thinking when he asked that question, probably. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We were all just like, so. Well, there's no precedence for something. No. It's not like something like you've been through before. For sure. How did you process it the next few days? I mean, you, you knew it was coming, but you still had to be in some way kind of unprepared for it in a manner. Definitely unprepared. You know, it all happened so fast. It was like this blow of a conversation that I had no idea. And then four days later, she was gone. And and so I don't know that I did process it, to be honest. It all just really was a blur and it was weird and it was sad and it was quiet and it was lonely, but you know, there's part of you that is like, is happy for her that she's not, she's not suffering. And, and, you know, as I tell this, you know, it sounds terrible, which of course for my family, like it, it was, but I, I definitely support people having this opportunity I really do. So many people are suffering and it honestly is just, it could be so worse. Like, you know, anyone, you could, you could have a seizure, you could, your lungs could, you know, there's just so many much more terrible outcomes. And, and this really was peaceful and there was no suffering, none. And everyone had time to say everything they wanted to say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that was the the nice part. It wasn't, you know, lots lots of people lose people tragically and they don't have those moments. We had those moments. We got to say what we wanted to say. We got to ask the questions that we, you know, thought we would want the answers to and we got to all be together and have spend time together and you following this, you had mentioned that you joined a group, like a six-week program for people who have gone through this. Can you describe what that was? So soon after, I just felt so alone in that experience mainly. You know, I, I think I'm not the first person to lose my mom. I'm not the first person to lose someone to cancer. But the way in which it happened I felt like no one understood, you know, and people would say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I would say, thank you. And in my head, think you have no idea. You have no idea. And so I wanted to connect with like someone who understood and I had no idea where to start, but I found um, this group on Facebook uh, for people. I, I forget what it was called, but it, it was people who supported that. Turns out it was, um, it was a lot of Americans and I felt like it was like an inquiry page and like a support page. So it's like some people would say, Oh, you know, I'm 
I live in Texas and, you know, I'm considering, I'm considering this. And people would say, oh, is it legal in this state? Oh, it's, it's not legal in my state. And, and it was just sort of like people advocating and, and sort of questions. And I remember making a post in the group, which I don't think I've done in my life. And, and I, I don't know what I wanted the outcome to be honestly. And I just sort of said, here's what happened. It was very brief. And, you know, while I support my mom's decision wholeheartedly. I'm having a lot of trouble forgetting the events of that day. And all the comments <laughs> were sort of people who said, you know, well, you know, when you're older, you'll understand why your mom made that choice. And when you're older, you'll see that these weren't the golden years that your mom had planned for. And I was just like, so just, I was already numb and I was just defeated. And I thought like, again, you have no idea. Like I do support that and I do understand. And, and and I'm grateful that she had the choice when a lot of people don't, that wasn't what I was reaching out for. You know, I wanted someone who knew how I was feeling because it felt very lonely so this woman reached out to me and she, uh, she was from the States and she was a grief counselor and she had said that she had this idea to put together a, a six week grief group for people who had lost a loved one to maid. And, and she said, once it sort of became, you know, m- more known and, and talked about, she said, I knew that this type of grief was going to be different and there needs to be a space f- for people. And, um, it was wonderful. It was so good. It was, it was myself. And then it was three sisters kind of from my area who had lost their mom only a few weeks before I had. And then there was another woman, she was from LA and she had lost her husband and it felt good. Like we could all just be sad together. And we just understood there was not like, oh, you don't get it. They got it. They understood me. They were there too. They knew how I felt when I said whatever I said. I, I still keep in contact with them. I really value making the connection with them in in those days. It really, it was really good. And it was interesting too, because the difference, the, the one woman from LA, you know, her experience being in the US and our experience being Canadian were night and day. I mean, same outcome, but you know, it's not covered financially. It's there. So, you know, people have to figure out how to pay for it, you know, and then the surviving family members are left with the debt if there is some. And I think, I mean, I'm not really sure. I don't know how it works. I don't know if it's different in each state, but I know where she was. The person who was getting the, the assistance had to be the one to physically administer the dose to themselves and theirs was by drink which was not it did not sound like a lovely experience whatsoever our experience was like the injection and it was seconds and it was painless and quick and and yeah theirs they mix you know like a cocktail of sorts that the person has to take themselves which isn't very pleasant and it's not quick either so for someone that's been through this, you would recommend joining a group like that, I would assume. I would recommend joining 
a group or a singular therapy or something. But yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really lonely thing. And if you can find people who understand even just like a portion, I think it's really helpful, which is part of the reason why, you know, I wanted to speak to you because I, I tried really hard to, to find people to connect with that understood. And, and there was nothing like, you know, anytime I Google, you know, counseling for medically assisted death, well, a hundred things would pop out, but it's counseling the patient on how to prepare themselves or things to consider. And, you know, X, Y, and Z, it was nothing for the people who are there and experience that loss and are, and are part of it, but are still here. And, you know, if, if, one person hears this and and thinks that girl understands how I'm feeling or she's been there too then somebody might might be helped by it for sure cuz as you said the the resources for this are little to none that's i feel that way this happened as we record this this happened about 10 months ago if you could go back in time to 12 months ago would you do anything differently? Yes. What would you do? We stayed away. We didn't go home because of COVID and we wanted to keep her safe. And we lost those two years. I mean, I would have taken a rapid test and I would have moved in and I would have been there every single day. But we stayed away to keep her safe. Of course, you can only make decisions based on the information you have at the time. And right. you thought that was the best thing then. We did. We yeah. did. And, and she did too. She was she was very concerned about COVID and how that could affect her and, you know, her medication and stuff. And so it's, it's not like she was begging us to be there and we just said no. Like, she, we probably would have. She was very concerned. And so we just respected how how she felt and we would FaceTime and we would visit in the backyard or, you know, meet her at the park when she was, you know, before when she was feeling better and we would do things like that. How did you feel for the next like few weeks or a month maybe? Were there any like family events when you got that you got together and it just wasn't quite the same or? We were planning uh, like her celebration of life for her birthday which was in october so we had two months to grieve and and i was in charge of all the photos and the boards and going through all that sort of thing so that was nice it really was like a an outlet it felt good to go through all those pictures and relive those memories and you know i'd send the boys like something funny i found and my mom <laughs> i had her cell phones and it was funny because uh, growing up, like w my brother and I, like we didn't like steak or pork chops or anything like that. But as we were older, we, we found out that we loved it. But the reason was because my mom just like cooked them so much. Like, so they were always like well done steaks. And we were like, oh my God, I actually love steak. Like, what is this? And so I found, um, you know, going back to when she would take the pictures and they were all blurry, there was so many videos on there of just like, the floor or like uh, her feet or, or something like these little blurbs that like she accidentally did. And so I played this one video and, and it 
years ago and and we're we all just sound so happy and she just sounds like herself and she doesn't know that she's <laughs> started recording this video uh and i hear a call to my brother like yell at him upstairs and he's like yeah and she goes how do you want your steak done and you can hear him go rare <laughs> <laughs> and she and my brother would never eat a rare steak like absolutely not and you hear her being downstairs go Oh, uh, <laughs> she goes, well, maybe, maybe I'll just, I like it a little bit more than that. Maybe I'll do it just a little bit in between. And he was like, yeah, sounds good. And I remember laughing so hard because like, it just was the funniest, funniest thing. Like <laughs> him being like, yeah, just cook it rare. Knowing that you'd probably end up around like medium or something. So that was good. I was happy to find that. But so while my mom was sick too, like her goal, that brother, the one closest to my age, he was going to get married. He was set to get married in September. So her goal was to make it to his wedding. And obviously she didn't. So his wedding was four weeks after she passed and it was, it was sad. And, and, you know, I really wanted them to have like a beautiful moment together without the focus being on that our mom wasn't there. It wasn't this whole big, huge thing. It was parents, siblings, each had like a grandparent or something. Very, very, very small, just us, really pretty. So they got married here in Kingston down by the water. It was like this big field, like no, and, and two years for two years prior, it's COVID. So there's not events or anything. There's nothing going on. So it's this field down by the water and they get married and it's beautiful. And, you know, we're taking pictures and they're not just standing in one spot and everyone's coming and going, you know, they'd go to over to her grandma and take the pictures and, you know, we'd move around and different sort of scenery and she would take a picture with her brother and then her and her sister. And so then my brothers had a picture together and then he, he said, of court, like, come get a picture with me. And I said, okay. And so I went over to where we were and I put my arm around him and I don't know what kind of human looks down at the ground when they're having their picture taken. But for whatever reason, I looked down and I saw this shiny thing and my heart fell and I thought, no, there's no way. There's no way. And I reached down and out of the grass in the middle of this field, my brother's wedding shoe, the tip of it was standing on a dime. Unbelievable. 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 And I picked it up and and I just held it in front of his face and we just stared at each other. And I, my jaw just dropped. Like I couldn't say anything. I couldn't explain this. And I we all held it together really well, but I just lost it in that moment. Like there's, there's nothing around. I can't explain this to you. There's nothing. It's an open field. It was crazy. And I just started crying. And I said to him, like, I'm just going to take a minute. Like, I don't, I'm not going to do the photo right now. Give me a second. And I walked away and sort of everyone's looking like, what? the hell is her problem? Like all of a sudden I'm just like crying and walking away when everything was fine. And my stepdad was like, what's wrong? Like came over with a Kleenex and, and, and I said, I couldn't get it out. And I said, he was, and I was like choking on my, 
words and I calmed myself and I said, he was, Jake was standing on a dime. His foot was on a dime and everyone just cried. (laughs) We just cried. And it was so, it was amazing. There's no way to explain that. There's no, like, that's, you can't even say that's a coincidence. It was just, it was wonderful. That is amazing. (laughs) For anyone who is going or has gone through something like this, if they would like to contact you, you've given your permission. We'll have your email address in the show notes and they can contact you and ask questions or whatever. You're okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. In the U.S., medical assistance in dying remains illegal in a majority of the states. Some people have worked around that by traveling to a state where it's allowed by law. If you're facing this situation with a family member or a friend, it's a good idea to talk to an attorney who has expertise in these matters. In the episode just before this one, I talked to Margie about losing her dad, who was a hoarder. That prompted this voicemail from a listener, Eric. Hey, Scott. Hope all is well. Uh, my name's Eric, and I absolutely love your show. Uh, the newest episode of Margie is probably one of my favorite episodes. Uh, when she explained the, about the moth infestation, that was disgusting, but probably one of the funniest things I ever heard. I was laughing out loud in my kitchen. I could relate to a lot of her story. My dad has been an active drug user for most of my adolescent to adult life, and continues to be one. With that comes the neglect of home and of the self in general. I wouldn't qualify him necessarily as a hoarder either, but he definitely is a pack rat. I think if it's obviously a little bit of a mental illness, plus the drugs have definitely clouded his mind. Uh, we had to do something similar in 2017 with getting a dumpster for him. Uh, my dad was selling this house that we grew up in, essentially to pay back taxes to a mortgage-free home, unfortunately, that he had to they had let accumulate for about 12 years. And when cleaning, I kept finding these wrapped up pieces of tin foil that when, when he opened them, revealed utensils or batteries or just random objects. And over the tin foil, he would wrap black electrical tape really tight, like he an extra security to make sure whatever was inside would be safe. My dad worked for the phone company for 34 years. As a telephone lineman, we had a lot of electrical tape growing up. I imagine he lifted from work. Uh, we had so much became our general use tape, even for our school projects and wrapping presents on occasion. These days, my dad rents a small apartment at a family friend's house in a basement. He is still very active in his addiction. I just celebrated five years sober from drugs and alcohol. I've managed to create some boundaries about seeing him when he's high, especially around my daughter who just turned three, which seems to only have distanced us further, unfortunately. But the last thing I'll mention is uh, I'm storing old boxes from his move. Uh, in my garage and I was cleaning the garage the other day and one of them was open a little bit I poked inside and I found a half used roll of aluminum foil three rolls of the black electrical tape two of which had been almost used up and a dusty picture of my brother my sister and I and on the back my dad had wrote in black pen I love my kids thanks Scott and I want to take a minute to thank my friend Bob Bob creates all the graphics you see for each episode of the podcast, and he's awesome. So if you see a post on Facebook or Reddit or Pinterest with an image promoting a podcast episode, 
Bob did that, and I really appreciate his work. If you need some graphics created, contact me and I'll put you in touch with him. And there's a new raw audio episode that just went live. In this episode, a mountain biker comes across someone on the trail who's been attacked by an animal. What's the problem? Tell me exactly what happened. Okay, um, I just came across a, a young girl who was mauled by a bear. A woman calls 911 from her car because she thinks she's witnessing an abduction. And I was at a stoplight and a man pulled up next to me and there was a child screaming in the car. And you'll hear me calling 911 because of something I saw recently while I was driving just a few weeks ago. There's a white male that's walking on the sidewalk 100% naked. Yeah, that was an interesting experience. The raw audio episodes are bonus episodes available to anyone who supports the podcast for $5 a month. You can sign up to be a supporter at whatwasthatlike.com support. And now we have this week's listener story. This is how we end every episode. We have a story that's called in from a listener. If you have an interesting story that you can tell in three to five minutes, we'd love to hear it. Just call the podcast voicemail line at 727-386-9468, or you can just record the audio on your phone and email it to me. This week, we're hearing from Alex with a story about shoveling snow when he was growing up. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and I'll see you in one week. Yeah, I said I'll be back here in just a week because I've got a special bonus episode for you. You're going to love it. See you then. Hi, my name is Alex, and this is how shoveling snow as a kid got me a job later in life when I needed it the most. During snow days and weekends when we would get a lot of snow in upstate New York, I would go around and shovel people's driveways, walkways, shovel their cars out. But instead of asking for money first, I would just do the job. And I, would, I had a little almost business card that I would tape to their door with how much they owed me if they wanted to pay. Some people didn't. Most people did. I'd find it in my mailbox or they would call and have me come pick it up. And I did this from when I was about 10 or 11 to when I was 13 or 14. Uh, I grew up super poor with not a lot of money. And I just had to fund things myself. It's how I bought my PS2 in, I think, the year 2000. Uh, years and years later, uh, I experienced a long bout of homelessness. Uh, it just is what it is. It was a, it was an experience that I now know gives me strength, and you know I have something to always look back on, knowing where I came from. And after years of homelessness, I finally got the strength up and be like, I need to find a better job. So what I did is I had a gym membership to Planet Fitness at the time, and I took the best clothes I had and washed them in the sink uh, as best as I could, and I used hand sanitizing soap to, to wash them, to make them as clean as I could, and I hung them outside, and they dried after a day or so, and I went and I applied to one, a big box hardware store. The day came for my interview, and I was so nervous, and I I assumed that they would know I was homeless because I was scraggly or that they would just know that I didn't have a home. So I sit down on an interview and a guy walks in, introduces himself and sits down and 
he looks at me strangely, and I first thought, oh, he, he knows. He knows immediately. I've got to leave. But I, I stayed because I really wanted the job. And after maybe 10, 20 minutes of an interview, he said, did you used to live on X Road, the road that I used to live on? And I went, oh, yeah, I lived down there when I was a kid. And he was like, did you used to shovel my driveway? And I was like, I shoveled lots of driveways. I assumed that I did. And his face lit up and he said, I always wondered who did it. I always wondered where, what happened. And like, cause I loved the drive and he's, and he wanted to say he was so busy working that he didn't get to see his kids as much as he wanted to. But hit me shoveling gave him just that little time before they went to school, before he went to work to give him time to spend with his children. So I was like, oh, that's really great. And the emotion in his face, uh, he didn't even interview me anymore. He just gave me the job on the spot. He said, he was like, if, if that work ethic is the same work ethic you have now, then I'm, then, you know, you're going to be perfect for this job. I just, I'll never forget that man and what he did for me because, you know, now I'm married with children and I have a home all of my own. And that all started from that. I can just think back that it all started from that one day of start to shoveling snow to where I ended up today.